As we continue in worship this morning through the hearing of the Word of God and through the preaching of the Word of God, would you read with me Romans 12, verses 9 through 21? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May our hearts remain soft to the hearing and the teaching of the Word of God. You may have a seat. Let's try that. All right, there we go. There we go. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. It's good to be here. Today is a day we're going to be challenged by God's Word. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So here's my question for you. What do you want to be known for? At the end of the day, what do you want to be known for? Whether you're just getting started out or most of your days are in the rearview mirror, what do you want to be known for? The Apostle Paul is very clear. He says, uh, it is your genuine love that we are to be known for. We've been spending a lot of time in the book of Romans, and we've been really examining the theology of the gospel, the good news that Jesus defeated the power of sin and death and rescues all who believe in him. Now we're in the application part of Paul's letter. So what do you want to be known for when it's all said and done? That's the big question of the day. Now, as we've just heard from God's word, there is a particular pattern of love that the Apostle Paul describes. So as we think about what is our life ultimately about, what am I ultimately known for, what does my genuine love look like, we're going to address the pattern, what that actually looks like. We're going to look at the power that God gives us to fulfill that, and then we're actually going to get a little bit of practice today. So that's the game plan this morning. Uh, many times we make you think really hard about abstract, hard concepts, about God's sovereignty and things like that. Today is not that day. 
but buckle up. It's time to let the power of God's word work in us today. So the first question is, what is the pattern that you are following? What is the pattern that you are following? Paul's already told us in the beginning of Romans chapter 12 not to conform to the pattern of this world, the mindset of this world, but rather to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we've leaned into that concept. Now we're going to apply it. So what exactly is that pattern? Well, it's the pattern of Jesus, very simply. Theologians talk about a cruciform lifestyle. In other words, my life looks like Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, love must be sincere to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. So what does that pattern of sincere love look like? First of all, let's talk about this word love for a second. Uh, Love's kind of difficult in the English language. We use love in a lot of different ways. And sometimes I think we're not very precise with how we talk about love. I might say, for instance, I love chocolate chip cookies. Can I get an amen to that? My wife, Kim, makes delightful chocolate chip cookies. Crisco butter sticks. I like them with a little chew, a little soft in the middle. They're delicious, but if I say I love chocolate chip cookies, what I really mean is I desire those cookies. I want to consume them. If we define love as the will to good for somebody else, I may love chocolate chip cookies. I may desire them, but it's not very good. My love is not very good for the cookies because they get consumed. Sometimes our love looks more like that. It looks more like a desire Not a will for the good, but a will to consume, a will for power over the object that I am desiring. So that's love. Now, Paul says we want a love that is sincere or a love that is genuine. Let's talk about that pattern for just a second. What does that actually look like? It means, the Greek in it means unhypocritical. You know what a hypocrite is? You wear the mask. There's something on the outside that doesn't match something on the inside. Paul says love must be sincere. It must be genuine. It is without hypocrisy. So what does that mean for us? There's no room for hypocrisy. There's no room for manipulation. There's no room for discrimination. We could go on and on with that list that would violate the sincerity or the genuineness of our love. So what does that pattern of sincere, of genuine love look like for you? Now, the ultimate pattern is that of Jesus, Probably the clearest explanation of that is in Philippians 2 where Paul says, he says, look, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than 
yourselves. Your attitude should be that of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So at the name of Jesus, Jesus, we'd be exalted, and at that that name, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. So there's a pattern of love. There's a pattern of sacrificial love that is so there in the scriptures for us, so crystal clear. I don't know about you, but I have a problem with following that pattern sometimes. And we're going to dig into that this morning. But uh, I want to make this a little bit concrete. I've been thinking a lot about patterns this week. A lot about the importance of patterns. And we're talking about the pattern of how you walk in genuine love. But I want to talk just for a second about the pattern of how you literally walk. So I want to invite you to do something today. If you're able, I invite you to stand. Don't worry, we're not going to have like public random confession call you out. Right now, look at your feet real quick. Don't think. Look at your feet right now. What is the pattern of your feet? Some of you are like this. Some of you are like that. Some of you have weight all over the place. But I want you to look at your pattern. What is actually natural? Some of you have on high heels, which makes it harder. What should your pattern be? Okay, you can go ahead and have a seat. I've been doing a lot of work literally with the pattern of the way I walk and the way I stand. Why? Because my body is all messed up. I won't bore you with that story. But I have a messed up knee, among other things. And one thing I've discovered in the last couple of weeks is I have that uh, particular dysfunction because it is the effect of bad patterns over a lifetime. Because my natural way of walking is not to be as it should, with toes pointed forward, feet under my shoulders, weight kind of balanced between the ball and the heels of my feet, I have a right foot that turns out. In my 30s, I ran lots and lots of miles. As a result of that, I have a a massive bone spur on my heel. And my knee is messed up. Why? Because of the way I walk and the way I run, my patterns were off. What do you think I wish I could do at age 51? Turn back the hands of time. If I knew then what I know now, I probably could have avoided this. Those of you who have got a few years under your belt, you can identify with me. Those that are young and springy, and have no pain when you get out of bed. Take this as a warning, right? Get your patterns right. Now, here's the thing about a pattern. Most of us have tried to change some habit or pattern in our life. And my guess is our batting average on that is not real high. Here's one of the reasons why. It's vision. Here's why it's such a big deal to me to get the pattern of the way I stand, and I'm also a heel striker. You look at my running shoes, I can't run anymore, but my walking shoes, they're worn out at the right heel. 
that's a bad thing. I'm out of balance. I got all kinds of issues. Physical therapists, athletic trainers out there, you're saying amen. But here's the deal. I have a vision now for walking the right way and getting things fixed. You know why? Because in a few weeks, Lord willing, I'm going to have a granddaughter. And what do you think I want to do? I want to be able to push that stroller a lot. I want to walk. I want to get on the floor and play. I don't want to hobble. I'm tired of hobbling. My vision is to walk strongly. I want you to think about your vision for your patterns. Now, I got this vision for my body, and it's, a, it's important, but it's not of ultimate importance. The ultimate importance is my vision of my genuine love for my creator and the creation. My genuine love for my neighbor, my genuine love for those 100,000 in our community that don't have a church home. What is the pattern? Are you, are you willing? Do you have a vision to potentially change the way that you love? Now, I gave you a little, little test, and I could give you all kinds of stuff with bands and lacrosse balls and all kinds of crazy stuff to fix your patterns. But I'm going to give you six little tests to help you identify where your patterns of genuine or sincere love may be off. Let's look at the first test. First of all is the cell phone check test. I want you to think about that. We're talking about genuine love. We're talking about love that is without hypocrisy, without ulterior motive. Have you ever been sitting with somebody and you are meeting with them and you are most concerned about what is happening in, on your phone? Have you been on the receiving end of that? Perhaps lack of genuine love. So one of the checks would be, when I am sitting with someone, am I truly present? All right, in this passage it says we are to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. That is a test of empathy, also a revealer of apathy. Either I can sit with somebody and actually listen and be with them in their pain or be with them in their joy. Or I am apathetic, I am without feeling. So test number one, the cell phone check. I'm going to go highbrow with you on this second one. This is the Leo Tolstoy first thought test. i got to throw my literary people something here. If you know the story of the death of Ivan Illich, it's a classic. One of the open, in the opening paragraph of that book, the writer says, So on receiving the news of Ivan Illich's death, the first thought of each of the gentlemen in that private room was of the changes and promotions it might occasion among themselves or their acquaintances. So in this little short story, Ivan Illich at the beginning of the story is dead. His friends are all around. Are they mourning? No. What are they most interested in? Now there's an open position. Who is going to move up in the corporation? And will that be me? 
Has that ever been your first thought? Some of you say, oh, there's no way I would think of anything like that. I love Jesus way too much for that. But here's the, here's the challenge. Here's the push for the, you this morning. I want you to think about your first thought. Not the image that you've scrubbed up and managed. Oh, I'm meddling today. But your first thought. When somebody leaves an organization, somebody's in pain, somebody is going through something, and your first thought is not about them, but it's about you. What will this do for me? Have I stayed long enough so that people can see that I've cared? Am I more about managing my image, my brand, the way others perceive me, or is my love genuine and sincere? Next, the head on a swivel grocery store test. I want you to think about that for a minute. A lot of of what this passage is about, and you're going to hear it again, but about how do I love my enemies? How do I love those who may be opposed to me? How do I love those who may be in conflict with me? Now, as we get into Romans 13 and 14, we're going to do some really good work on how we deal with those who fundamentally disagree with us how we deal with conflict and authority and those kinds of things. But right now, I'm just going to make it real personal and simple. This is a head-on-the-swivel grocery store test. What do I mean by that? When you go to the grocery store, do you have your head on a swivel to see who is around and who you have to avoid? Could be the head-on-a-swivel in a crowd. Do you have people who, I don't really want to talk to that person. I don't want to empathize. I don't want to do the hard thing. I don't want to have the hard conversation. I want to avoid. Paul says our love must be genuine and sincere. So do you have those who are opposed to you? You are opposed to them? And the easy thing, head on a swivel. Done a lot of coaching. Head on a swivel is a good thing because you want to see who's going to knock you down. That's not the way of genuine love. Eyeball to eyeball is genuine love. Next is the unexpected opportunity test. This is a test of generosity and hospitality. Paul talks about that in this passage. We're to be devoted to one another. We are to show hospitality. Now, how many of you are really good at when you have a long time to plan and think about something? Sure, I'll open up my home. But what about that unexpected opportunity to show hospitality? When it might be a little bit inconvenient for you. It might have, there's an opportunity to be generous or there's an opportunity to be stingy. My wife gets an A. Kim gets an A on this. She's like, you know. My youngest comes home from college, two or three days notice, hey, we got a couple of my, my roommates, um, they got internships in Indy, can they stay with us? She says, of course. How long are they going to be here? I don't know, probably all summer. No worries. 
we've had like, and, and I'm bragging on my wife, not on me, because I get, I, I probably was a D, maybe I'm a C plus right now. But her first response is natural. The patterns in your life are your natural first response. I have to work to get there. She's like automatic, yes, come on in. We probably had 10 people stay at least two weeks in our basement of different, different walks of life, different things. It's hospitality. It's a good test of the genuineness of your love. Next is the unrecognized good deed test. The unrecognized good deed test. So you've done something good. You've done something sacrificial. You've done something loving for someone else. And on the front end, you're really genuine and sincere. But then nobody really saw it. Nobody really appreciated it. You didn't get the attaboy or the girl. You didn't get the thank you note. You didn't get that recognition. How do you respond? Well, if my love is genuine and sincere and cruciform like Jesus, I shouldn't really care that much. If it's about props for me, if it's about building my own whatever, then I'm going to care a little bit too much. The unrecognized good deed test. Now let's talk about the hard feedback test. How do you respond to that? Now there's this thing in the Bible, and uh, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4, about speaking the truth in love. What's the purpose of speaking the truth in love? It's to, it's to build up. It's to make us more like Jesus. It's to grow the body. That's the purpose of speaking the truth in love. Now, how do you respond when you get hard feedback? Do you want to fight? Do you want to receive it? Do you have the humility to receive it even if it's not all true? Even if there's like 20% that's right? Do you have the emotional strength? Do you have the genuine love to give that when it's necessary? Hard to really love your kids well if you can't give some of that. But friends, today that is all rooted in genuine love that's rooted in Jesus. So how are you doing? Anybody six for six like you've passed all with flying colors? If that's you, I'll give you the mic. You can come up, finish up the message. I was 0 for 6 at some level, and I had three more I don't have time for. I started the week with three. I ended up with six. I've got four more in my back pocket, but we don't have time. So how do you feel when you, when you receive that, when you put your life up against that pattern? Now what do you do? If you've been convicted a little bit, you've been like, ooh, yeah, my walk is kind of like that. I'm off a little bit. Someday you're going to stand before Jesus and give an account of the genuineness of your love. Not everything that you knew. Not can you tell the difference between justification, propitiation, sanctification, glorification. Those things are all important. 
But the ultimate test is how well did you love? In the Bible, your knowledge and your actions should be unified. They should be aligned. Just knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Not against knowledge. It's a beautiful thing. But if it's really true, if it's, you know, when, when, when Paul says renewing the mind, it's really your whole being that's being renewed. So how do we live this out is the question. So we've got a pattern. So we're, we're holding our lives up against that pattern. But the good news is there's a power. What is the source of your power? And I'm going to make it really simple for you, okay? The Apostle Paul, he, he talks about this particular verse. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Leave that up for a second. Look at that trio, joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. What is the source, what is the power of your genuine love? Where does it come from? To love like Jesus, part of our process is becoming more like him as it should be more and more natural. But if you're like me, I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard to live consistently this way. And for my love, 100% of the time, to be genuine. So what is the source of your power? Kim and I, when we talk about um, love and our kids and, you know, we've been through it all. And, you know, they're all 20-somethings and love Jesus. And, you know, we're not waving the flags yet, but we're encouraged If you're in a tough time with your kids, just don't lose heart. Don't quit. Be faithful in prayer. Now, if your life is generally prayerless, think about that for a minute. If your life is generally prayerless or it's just going through the motions, what is the source of your power? is all you. (laughs) It is all you. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, Kim and I, we talk about a grace bucket a lot. We all have a grace bucket. And by that, we mean kind of the resources we have to reach out in love. Sometimes we feel like we have a grace bucket Sometimes we have a grace cup. Sometimes we have a grace thimble. What is the level of your resources? What do I mean by that? What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is God giving you what you need. Grace is that which sustains you. This is not simply your own effort. This is not simply your willpower, your try-heartedness, but how does grace work? Let me give you a quick, quick illustration. How do you have the power to love your enemy? I'm a really good, humble guy. I can do that. I'm going to try really hard 
that generally doesn't work for very long. When I think right, when I renew my mind and I say, hey, I too was once an enemy of God. While I was opposed to him, while I was in enmity with him, while we were yet sinners opposed to God, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. So I think right. Okay, I begin to, I begin to think differently. There's a grace that says I don't have to do this on my own. So my, my mind can be renewed. But I'm also, I have the Holy Spirit in me. Okay, when I put my faith and my trust in Christ, I receive the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit, let's go back to Romans 8. What does the Holy Spirit do? His Spirit testifies with my spirit that I am a child of God. I'm an heir. If God is for me, who can be against me? What can separate me from the love of God? Nothing. If that's my mindset, if I'm reminded of that, I have that power, how can I deal with my enemies? How can I have the filling of my grace bucket? I cannot give grace if I don't receive it. So this morning, what does your grace container look like? Is it a bucket? Is it a cup? Is it a little itty-bitty thimble of grace? So this morning, as we think about God's Word, as we think about the pattern that God gives us, that, that perfect pattern of genuine love modeled by Christ, and then we think about the source of our power, How do we actually change? How do we actually be transformed? We're going to do a little practice this morning. We're going to actually practice this. And here's what we're going to do. Matt and the worship team, they're going to come forward. And they're going to read this passage again. I want you to be open to the Holy Spirit. They're going to read through this passage, and I want God's words to work in your heart, work in your mind. And then there's going to be some reflective questions for you to think about. You thought you were done with six tests. Now there's some other questions for you to think about. And I want to be bold this morning. I want to invite you to respond in a couple ways. You can sit in your seat and you can, you can hear the word. <clears throat> you, can, you can process these questions and you can think about it. And I'd like to think that there's something, some area of your life where that foot just turns out a little bit. And you might have to change some things. You might have to confess some things. So you can do that in your seat, and that's great. <clears throat> but here's what I would challenge you to do. And I know, I, th- I think some of you are going to do this today. Some of you are going to get up out of your seat, and we're going to have men and women stationed at these tables. And what are they there for? They are there to pray for you, to pray with you, 
to listen to you. Because one of the things about following Jesus is you are not alone. We are part of the body of Christ. That means when one, heart, one part hurts, we all hurt. One rejoices, we all rejoice. One is struggling, we share that struggle. One is having victory, we rejoice in that victory. But I would invite you very simply during this time, we're going to have, a, again, time to read Scripture, time to reflect. You can go to one of these tables and pray with somebody or for somebody. And if you're one of those people today and you're like, I don't really have a clue what this is all about. Maybe I've never actually put my faith and trust in Christ. Today may be your day to do that. So the team's going to do that. Uh, in a few minutes after that, we're gonna, I'm going to lead us through communion and we'll, we'll bring it all together. But they're going to read the word and I want the Holy Spirit to work on you. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for your word. And Father, now as we hear it again, Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. And I simply ask that we would be open, open to receive. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head 
Do not over do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.